Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Tuesday, April 19th, and this is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me, got Sam Vecini with me. It's been a couple of weeks since we uh, chatted. In fact, since the last time we uh, recorded an Eye on College Basketball Podcast, um, well, here's the here's where we were last time we recorded. Josh Pastor was the coach at Memphis. Tubby Smith was the coach at Texas Tech. Chris Beard was the coach at Little Rock. He then became the coach at UNLV, and Marvin Menzies was the coach at New Mexico State. Fast forward to this moment, Josh Pastner is now the coach at Georgia Tech. Tubby Smith is the coach at Memphis. Chris Beard is now the coach at Texas Tech. Marvin Menzies is now the coach at UNLV. So it's been a wild couple of weeks. There's been no games, uh, obviously. The season ended. If you didn't know, Villanova is your national champion. But uh, there's still plenty of stuff happening in college basketball. Norlander, when we left, uh, where was the Final Four? Houston? When we left Houston, <laughs> I, think we, I think the conversation was basically, all right, uh, Georgia Tech's open. Like they'll fill that with somebody and then we'll just get to slow down. Like this is, this is, this coaching carousel thing is wrapping up uh, in a timely manner. And yet uh, the, the Memphis thing uh, or the Georgia tech thing, hiring the Memphis coach turned everything. Uh, it just extended it by about a week or two. It's been a wild couple of weeks, right? It has. And, and when we were in um, Houston for the final four, you know, we were discussing, you know, who's Georgia tech going to hire? What are the options there? It's well, it's really guy A or guy B. And neither of those guys were Josh Pastner. Uh, that wasn't even remotely on anyone's radar. Hey, let me um, let me, let me have, uh, you know who else's radar it wasn't on? Josh Pastner's. George, well, Georgia no, it was, it was, Yeah, Georgia Tech's. They didn't think. They were, <clears throat> trust me, they didn't think they were hiring Josh Pastner. When they fired Brian Gregory, if you'd have told them, yeah, you know, you're going to hire uh, Josh Pastner in a few weeks, they'd have been like, no, 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 get out of here. And yet, that's the way it unfolded. Without a doubt, um, this uh, it. It definitely turned in a really quick way. And what we've had here since we last had our podcast is just one chain reaction uh, to to another. You know, Tech goes to Passner, and Memphis has got to get someone. And definitely want to get into them getting Tubby Smith and GP, you know, what how the fans have changed, if at all, since they got Tubby. Because um, that was one that obviously no one would have thought at first. I don't even think Tubby was part of the initial, you know, when these jobs open, you know, you, among other reporters, uh, can get, you know, get names out there who are likely candidates. I don't remember hearing Tubby whatsoever. He makes it to me. He's a he's a fine choice overall with what he's done, but that comes kind of comes out of nowhere. And then you got the funkiness with Beard, and that he was at Little Rock, and then he gets the UNLV job, which, by the way, that was a little bit of a weird fit. But I actually thought that he could have done well there, and uh, certainly should have taken that job. But then, the super interesting weird thing is that he spent a decade at Texas Tech as an assistant and has family that lives, you know, relatively close in the area. And so I don't know if Texas Tech is Chris Beard's dream job, okay? I hope if you not. Said, I hope not. If, if you said, you know, can you can coach Texas or you can coach Texas Tech, you know, obviously uh, the place down in Austin is, is such a huge job. But that job does mean so much to him. And while on the surface – it's tough to understand why someone would pass coaching in Las Vegas at a place like UNLV, which has a national championship, uh, versus a place like Lubbock, which is considered really one of the toughest places to uh, recruit and play at in, in a power six league, you know, Big East included. But for Beard, it makes a lot of sense. And so then UNLV gets gets in this just – listen, it's a public embarrassment for the university because you hire a guy – 
and a, literally a week later he's leaving you for Lubbock, Texas, and then you've got to go find someone on the fly. And uh, GP, I don't know what you can and will disclose, but you know the hiring process with that um, is also a whole other mess. Um, but they get Marvin Menzies, who has done a great job with New Mexico State, relatively speaking. And so, and so here we are. I'll pass it off to you with this. To me, the, of the four schools, I would say that Tech ended up with the biggest win in terms of its coach, its fit. And how well I think that school will do over the next, say, five years. You know, all the schools got the guys that they thought that were the best possible guys they can get, whatever. To me, the biggest victory for any school of the four is Tech being able to lure Beard away from Vegas a week after he agreed to go there. I don't agree with that. For, like, you know, the idea that Texas Tech, which is, um, in my opinion, it's the worst job in the Big 12. I mean, they got money. And they went to the tournament this year, but it's the hard. Let me let me put it that way: hard, most difficult job in the Big Twelve. And you just went and stole UNLV's coach. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's now. This isn't the Tark UNLV years. Like it, it is a mess there. I think Chris knew when he took the job, it was a mess. But you know he's making like two hundred thousand dollars at Little Rock. They offer him like nine hundred thousand dollars at UNLV, and it's 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 UNLV as opposed to Little Rock. So like. You, you just take the job. Like, it doesn't matter how big yep. of a mess it is. It's uh, whatever. Like, hold up. I, I, like, I think somebody tweeted this the other day. Two years ago, he was making $70,000 a year. Now he's making, like, I want to say around $1.5 at Texas Tech is the number. Like, something like that. Like, it's, a, it's, it's incredible. But even back up two weeks, you know, two years ago, he's making $70,000. Then he gets offered $900,000 to coach the running Rebels. And if you're anywhere around my age, in Norlander, I know you are, um, like, that still means something. That brand, the UNLV brand is still a, a big brand. So even though it was a mess to walk into, no roster, um, APR issues, athletic director is on incredibly shaky ground. Like I don't, like whoever UNLV hired as the men's basketball coach, probably going to outlast the athletic director. So you don't know who you're going to be working for in a year or two. Um, all of that, you, you, you write it down on a piece of paper and you say, okay, this is all true. I'm still the coach at Little Rock, just got offered the UNLV job. I'm going to UNLV. So then he gets there, and I think, you know, and then I think he, he up close, he realized, oh, wow, this is even worse than I thought. That said, he's still going to be the UNLV coach if Memphis hires literally anybody other than Tubby Smith. Like, there, I, don't, I really don't think there's any other person Memphis could have hired. In fact, I know there's no other person Memphis could have hired that would have caused um, a school to target Chris Beard and for Chris Beard to go because um, though, though he has called it his dream job, and I was joking earlier, like it can't be somebody's dream job. It's like it's the worst job in the Big 12. It, it's, it's a job that has special meaning to him, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he's, he, he spent a decade there. Um, he went to college in Texas. He spent a decade there. His kids live nearby. Um, it, it's, like, it's like a perfect, like, storm of, of bad things that had to happen for UNLV. So while um, I do think that they were all over the place in the way that they went about the process, UNLV, at the end of the day, and I feel bad for the athletic director there in this sense, like she just got unlucky. You know, it's a little bit like uh, people when when Tennessee lost uh, uh, Lane Kiffin after a year, they were all over the athletic director there. I believe at the time it was Mike Hamilton. And like, how could you hire a guy who's just going to leave you after a year? Or they were all over Lane Kiffin. Like, how could you leave Tennessee after a year? Well, this this one job that you would take opened like it, it, it had nothing to do with you. And, and so, like, USC opens. They want Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin had spent time there. It's USC. You got to go. That's sort of like the way Tennessee was just unlucky there. Um, 
you know, UNLV was just sort of unlucky here. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's a win for Texas Tech. You get blindsided by this Tubby Smith thing because though the Memphis job opened on a, on a Thursday morning, Tubby didn't even get a phone call. Uh, or, or the Memphis job opened on a Friday morning. Tubby didn't even get a phone call from the university or from a search firm from anybody until a Tuesday afternoon. So that, like, by definition means he wasn't an initial target. He wasn't the, um, the guy they were going after. So if Memphis is able to hit on any of the things it's trying to hit on early, Tubby Smith's still at Texas Tech, Chris Beard's still at UNLV. But because Memphis missed or just, like, didn't, you know, didn't know what direction to turn and they turned to Tubby, uh, then Tubby takes Memphis simply because it's, it's Memphis instead of Texas Tech. It's a good job in a good league as opposed to a bad job in a great league. And then, uh, and then Texas Tech goes and gets Chris Beard. So, uh, you know, it's just I, I agree, Norlander, that I, I think Texas Tech is, if you're trying to find the winner out of this group of schools, it's, uh, it's probably the Red, Red, Red Raiders. Sam, what do you make of all this? Yeah, I think you guys kind of nailed it. Uh, let's talk about how the the weirdness of Passner to Georgia Tech, I guess, for a little bit here, because I think that's something that, you know, very few people saw coming, really. Uh, you know, Josh was kind of on the, I mean, I guess he was realistically very much on the hot seat oh, sure. uh, at Memphis. And, you know, he probably would have been fired if he didn't have that massive buyout. And then he ends up finding a landing spot that, I don't know that Georgia Tech has necessarily is a better job than Memphis. It's probably not, to be honest. But the ceiling at Georgia Tech, like if he can get that thing turned around, is not a bad job at all. It's actually a really good job. If he can go out and, you know, hire some, you know, strong assistants with Atlanta ties who can go out and recruit that area. Who do not uh, play golf. Who do not play golf, apparently, uh, as Matt wrote about. And, definitely, we'll definitely get to that. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, I think there's actually, like, some reason for optimism here. Like, I don't think this is a bad hire at all. Like, I know that Georgia Tech probably went in with expectations thinking that uh, they'd be able to lure one of the, you know, big names or they'd be able to lure, like, Jeff Capel or whatever they wanted to from Duke. And I kind of don't hate this hire at all for Georgia Tech. I think that a lot of Georgia Tech fans will look at it as uninspiring, but to me, uh, I can see how this fit works a lot better than, say, like Kevin Stallings at Pitt. You know, like I, I can see how Passner can make this work, at least in a way that some other hires I I'm a little bit more questionable on. Here's what I would say to that. I, I think by the t and I think this goes and, and we, the three of us, have talked about this off of the podcast. Um, I think this this is almost true for the majority of coaching hires. Even if it's disappointing, like in a big picture sort of way, like Georgia Tech's like, oh my God, we just ended up with the coach Memphis wanted to fire, but couldn't because of a buyout. Here's, the, here's, mm -hmm. here's what I believe is probably the truth. On the day Georgia Tech made the hire, Josh Pastor's probably about as good as Georgia Tech could do. Like, I, I think sometimes it gets lost because uh, UNLV, like uh, they open, the job opens in January. And like a week later, there's a story in the Las Vegas paper, like they're going to go after Rick Pitino. And then it's like, okay, maybe not Patino, but how about Mick Cronin? Mick Cronin's on campus. And then you look up and you've got to hire the first-year coach from Little Rock. And then he leaves you. Like, it's just, uh, you know, Georgia Tech opens. They're like, ooh, like Mike Babinski's the athletic director there. Used to be at Xavier. So, like, he'll go get Chris Mack. And if not Chris Mack, you know who else he used to work with? Sean Miller. You know what Sean's brother's name is, right? Archie Miller. So, Chris Mack, Archie Miller. Who would you rather have? And if not them, what about Bryce Drew? Then you end up getting just like passed over by everybody. Next thing you know, you're, you're trying to hire the coach the Memphis is firing. So, Which, by the way, like 
Josh is a 38-year-old head coach that has won almost 200 games in his career, I believe, and has made four NCAA tournaments, right. and is just two years removed from making the NCAA tournament. Right. Like, no, no that, I, I, you know, I, his his pedigree is uh, pretty strong for what he is, and you know, his experience level in the college basketball industry. No question. And you know what? Like, uh, I get it. Like, I, had, I do get it. Yeah, right. I was going to say the same thing. Like, I totally get it. Well, how about why this? Memphis fans would be disappointed, but. No, I mean, like, how about this? So, uh, back in like Jane, you know, when it became clear the Memphis Josh Pastor thing was going like the the wrong way quickly, and um, you know, I'm, I'm having to do a radio show in Memphis every day, and we're talking about this a lot, and uh, you start wondering because the conversation, at least in the Memphis market, turned to: Is there any way Josh Pastor could get out of Memphis? Like, could he leave? And I made the case on radio. I said, you know what? It looks like the Georgia Tech job's going to open, and I bet you this. Georgia Tech will not be able to hire somebody with a better resume than Josh Pastner's resume. And if you put me in charge of selling Josh Pastner to Georgia Tech, I could probably do it. And the way I would do it is say, okay, listen, he signed two McDonald's All-Americans out of Atlanta, Jalon Kendrick and Shaq Goodwin. Perfect APR, no off-the-court problems, has been to four of the past, at the time it was five, now it's six, NCAA tournaments. Though he never made a Sweet 16, in his four NCAA tournaments, he was eliminated by Tom Izzo, uh, Tony Bennett, Rick Majerus, and Sean Miller. So, like, four maybe either, like, you know, Hall of Fame-level guys. Um, you know, so it's, he was just sort of – he didn't get the favorable draw in the NCAA tournament the way mm-hmm. some other coaches have gotten. Like, he ran into monsters every time. Like, like if, if you think one of Josh's weaknesses is his inability to, quote, coach, well, he ran into some of the great coaches in college basketball. Again – Tony Bennett, Rick Majerus, Tom Izzo, and Sean Miller. So, and that's not just like coaches. That's coaches who legitimately like can coach on the floor, oh, make adjustments yeah, they, on yeah. the fly like crazy. No, they'll wear you out. Like I, I can remember having conversations with Josh about like when they had to play that St. Louis uh, Rick Majerus team. He was like, you know what? I'd rather play a two seed who will just run up and down with us than than play Rick Majerus. Like it's just a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And then Tony Bennett, same thing. Izzo, same thing. So, um, so like. Yeah, I like I get like and let's be very clear. Yes, Josh only kept his job at Memphis because of the ten point six million dollar buyout. If not for that, the president would have fired him. In fact, I'm told the administration went to Josh Pastor either late in the year or right after the season was over. And basically, I don't like this isn't word for word, but the message was this. We can't fire you. We don't have either. Either we don't have the money to do it or the people with the money don't want to do it. But um, you need to go look for a job. And if you can find a, a, a comparable job, then we will make it easy for you to go. In fact, we'll pay you to go. Like, keep in mind, Josh Pastor had a $500,000 buyout if he wanted to leave. It was $10.6 million if Memphis wanted to fire him. But either way, mm-hmm. if he, for him leaving to go to Georgia Tech, he, he technically, by the, by the words of the contract, he owed Memphis $500,000. Memphis is paying him $1.245 million to go away. Can we just point out how amazing that uh... – that leverage was for Pastner, who, you know, I don't know if he actually has an agent or not. No, he does. Like, it's no, it's incredible. He, yeah, like says he doesn't have an agent at the very least, and I'm sure Parrish would know that better than I do. He has but an like, agent. He gets to go to Georgia. He gets to go to Memphis and go, hey, I got this job at Georgia Tech. I'll leave. If you don't pay me, I'll stay. I'll Memphis? do it, guys. No. I'll stay. How about this? <laughs> Rather than, like, the way the contract's written, he leaves to go to Georgia Tech. He owes Memphis $500,000. And Memphis was so concerned that he might not take the job that they said, you know what, forget it. You don't owe us $500,000. In fact, we'll pay you $1.245 million to go. Please go. So they pushed him out the door, all right? 
Um, and it's like a gift from God for Josh Pastner. Like he's 38 years old. He was next year wasn't going to be better. Like they were going to lose again next year, and then he was going to get fired. You know, middle of next season, like the, or, or at the very least at the end of next season. But I think he uh, accurately uh, determined. Okay, uh, you know, and he got like a six-year deal worth around twelve million dollars. So it's not as much money as he was making at Memphis, but like in terms of the total amount, like the dollar figure, he's not leaving money on the table. And um, and and you just sort of have to look at this, like, okay, if I come back next year, I'm fired, and then will I ever, as a fired coach, get a job offer as good as the Georgia Tech? No matter, okay, job offer, probably not. So Georgia Tech job's not as good as the Memphis job. But the Georgia Tech job is better than any job he would have probably been offered after being fired at Memphis next season, which would have been after three straight bad seasons. So you jump at this, and you get $1.2 million to jump. Like, it's amazing. But, like, again, yes. from, from Georgia from Georgia Tech's perspective, let me be very clear. I get why you might not have been blown away by the hiring of Josh Pastor, but on the day you made the hire, this is what I've told Georgia Tech fans, on the day you made the hire, who, who else could you have hired? Pat Kelsey? You want the Winthrop coach who's never been to the NCAA tournament? Like, that's really what they were kind of picking between. Like, yeah. like you know, mm-hmm. they weren't picking between Josh Pastor and Archie Miller. They're picking between Josh Pastor and, oh, my God, who the hell are we going to hire? And so, like, yeah. good for Josh. But, like, Josh was out there chasing. Even Mike Babinski, the Georgia Tech AD, he was like, yeah, Josh approached me at the Final Four. Josh was one of the first people to call me about the job. And that's it's not because Josh was, quote, looking to get out of uh, – of Memphis, as much as Memphis was telling him, get out, go. You, If you can get involved at Georgia Tech, you need to go get involved at Georgia Tech. So it was interesting how that went down. He's now the coach at Georgia Tech. He's looking to fill out a staff, Matt Norlander. And as, as long as you don't play golf, you can at least apply for the job. All right, I'll hit the golf thing. Let me just say this one thing. So to, to me, this is one of the all-time uh, great career resuscitators for any coach that I can remember. And I, I got to think ever, just in terms of what you just laid out, GP, you're at a top 25 job. Like how often is a coach at a top 25 job without a bright future at that job, then manage to get himself to a top 40 job that he knows you would never have it. Like it was this year or, or not happening that he would not have got the same kind of job next year after being fired. So not only does he not get fired, he takes a slight demotion in gig, but it's necessary because it basically extends his career at a relevant program inside a major conference for minimally, I would think minimally three years. And that's like worst case scenario. I think Passner will actually do a good enough job where I think five years from now, he'll probably still be there. And if he's not, I think he'll last five years. I think that's the worst case scenario for him just because guy can really recruit. Um, he has had some success. Now, listen, the conference is an absolute beast. The, the school itself, I think I've said it on the podcast a couple of times. I know I've tweeted it. Uh, because Brian Greger actually told Parrish and I, Sam might have been standing there as well in Vegas last year. I was unaware of this till he told me. Georgia Tech has one season in the past two decades, and it might be even now 21 years, where it has finished above 500 in the conference, which is mind-boggling, okay? Absolutely stunning. Um, so he's kind of up against it. it. It is a tougher job than I think maybe some people realize, yeah. and I don't, think it's, I don't think it's a top 30 job, despite the fact that it, it's location overall is around so much talent. I think Pastner will get a, a lot from that. I think some criticisms of him might remain in that he can get some talent, but coaching that talent and, and getting that talent to be NBA ready, that's a huge challenge for him. I think that's something that we'll discuss more as we get into his tenure. Um, but good for him. 
I don't think it's a bad hire for Georgia Tech. I think Pat Kelsey could wind up being a really good coach, and maybe 10 years from now we, he might be having some, some success at some bigger school, and they would have been like, remember when Georgia Tech could have hired Pat Kelsey but didn't? I could totally see that situation happening. But in the here and now, getting past her is not a bad deal. As for the golf thing, listen, this is – this is this is weird. Josh is Josh is an endearingly weird guy, though. So if if you did not see the story, the Atlanta Journal Constitution actually had this first, and then I just texted Josh to be like, "Hey, this is I'm going to write about this. If if there's anything else you want me to add to it, let me know." He called me within like two minutes. He was actually on his way to New York. He doesn't have a staff yet. He has no assistants yet. He was going to recruit solo, just getting the Georgia Tech job. Like, it's actually a really tough spot for him to try and get some momentum. And then the story comes out, and he's not running from it. The fact of the matter is, if you play golf, you can't be on a staff. And I get some of the mentality because, like, people that play golf – and this isn't really college basketball coaches for the most part, but like people that play golf can get obsessive about it. Like I have buddies who play and literally every single weekend they will go and play golf because golf is one of those games where it can just take over your life because suddenly like you just, you get the clubs, you get the shoes, you, you get the outfits. You want to just try and get better and better and better. I, I get that. But in terms of what pastor's doing, he's basically saying he doesn't want you to be preoccupied with anything on weekends that are going to take up five hours of your time he says you can't use your phone on the course, which isn't really true. Like I get what he's kind of saying. I there. use my it, phone on the course. Like I, I spent forty-five minutes on a golf course one time talking to talking to Yogi Ferrell's dad. Like, like <laughs> the idea that you can't use your phone on the course is ridiculous. I, I know this is not good for Josh. This is not, I had actually a couple after I had I wrote the story and I he get, Josh gave me some more. Like he he doubled down, man. He was like. He wasn't – I was kind of like, Josh, this is kind of a quirky story, and I get where you're coming from, but you can see how it is kind of funny. Like, he did not think it was funny. He was like, I need guys – like, I have no staff right now. I need guys that are going to be 100% all in committed, and I get where he's coming from because consider yourself Josh Pastor, right? You get this great job, but now you're, like, determined to set the world on fire and show everyone that, you know, you weren't the wrong pick in Memphis. You – can do what you want to do and you're going to have success at Georgia Tech like I get all of that so he basically wants three absolute grinders and guys that are basically only focused on you know family the the university and and their personal health like there's just no he needs guys that are just specific molds and I said well you know what makes golf anything different Josh than if you want to spend you know a weekend with your family going to a baseball game. Like, what is, how is that any different? And then he kind of went to the phone etiquette thing. His logic is a little shaky here. And ultimately, as he was talking to me, I was like, I was thinking in my head, I was like, wait a second. Like, I know Beheim golfs. Roy Williams, like, is obsessed with golf. <laughs> right. I was like, I just did the story on Kruger where he beats all of his friends all the time in golf. And I was like, and I'm pretty sure, and I had to, I fact check it just to make sure and Jay Reigall so you, you got the story coming off this final four where every single coach that was in the national semifinals and the title game is like an avid successful really good golfer in addition to being a really good college basketball coach so there's no correlation there um but it definitely hey listen it's an interesting funny story and the reactions I mean oh, people God. were loving killing Josh over this and there was some legitimacy to it as well you know, like, here's the thing. And, and I, like, I've obviously known Josh for a long time. Here's the truth. Norlander, you're, you're exactly right in terms that he's motivated to prove uh, to Memphis fans that he's better than they say and to Georgia Tech fans who have doubted the hire that he can do the job. He's motivated in, in all the ways any of us would be. He's been uh, publicly ridiculed. Like, and, and, and people 
um, saying uh, one of two things, if not both things. A, he should have been fired at Memphis, and B, he should have never been hired at Georgia Tech. Like, when people say that kind of stuff publicly about you, I don't care what your job is. Um, you want to prove them wrong, and you want to work like hell to prove them wrong. Like, that's completely uh, uh, human nature. <clears throat> so what this is, when he starts talking about I'm not going to hire uh, assistants who play golf, he doesn't really believe that. It's just one of these stupid things that he says to try to make you understand how hard he's going to work and how hard he wants everybody to work. The truth is, when he was at Memphis, he tried to hire Penny Hardaway every year. Penny Hardaway plays golf five days a week, if not more, like 36 holes a day. Like Penny Hardaway lives at TPC Southwind, plays golf every day. Like the reason Penny Hardaway won't be an assistant coach is because he wants to play golf every day. But that didn't stop Josh Pastor from trying to hire him every year, every time he had an opening. And so I think it's just one of those deals, and Josh does this all the time. He starts talking and saying, trying to, to in, a, in an attempt to say things that'll prove to you how hard he's working or how badly he wants something to go the right way, so on and so forth. And he ends up saying something that's just uh, illogical for all the reasons that you've stated. Like the idea that you can't play golf and be a successful ACC assistant is just right. silly. What's the difference, as you pointed out, between going and playing a round of golf or going to a baseball game? Or between going and playing a round of golf or going to, or, or sitting down and watching Game of Thrones? You know, what's the difference between, yeah. you know, like, you know, like what, like, right. yeah, it's just, uh, first off, like the president of the United States can make time to play, go play, play golf. If you can run the, the country and play golf, like, I, I think you could be an ACC assistant and play golf. And beyond that, if the argument is you need to be focused on stuff that's important and not golf, uh, let the record show that Josh Pastner is the guy that if you email him, like, in, and I don't mean you, Matt or Sam, I mean, like, if my cousin emailed him or, like, the, the lady that lives three doors down from me, he would take the time to, to email you back in a very thoughtful way. He must spend hours a week just texting people, emailing people, talking to people on the phone that are inconsequential to his job. If you can find time to do that stuff, I, you know, why can't you find time to play golf? So um, I, I guess my main point is I don't even believe that he believes what he's saying. It was just a way for him to try to – demonstrate how hard he's going to work and how hard he wants people to work um but even if he did believe it it's just a silly thing to believe it, it's it's rooted in nonsense it's just rooted in nonsense and it, it is listen it is i believe well i believe that he like he will not hire anyone i mean unless you know he well, now he's, almost, he's, he's almost like sort of like painted himself in a corner now right he had because listen also like Consider the calendar right now. You know, it's it's the middle of April. We're in the live recruiting period here. And, you know, I don't want to overstate it, but, like, it's not easy to take over a job like, like Georgia Tech, have no one on your staff. I mean, he he flew solo. I mean, he's kind of just getting his bearings here right now, and, and you're kind of behind the eight ball as it is with this. And to do this, I, I did have a couple of coaches reach out and basically say, like, Listen, because Tarkanian apparently had the same rule at Vegas. He apparently had a rule that you couldn't play golf if you wanted to be on his staff. That's the only other coach I've ever heard that would have done that kind of thing. And maybe other coaches have. They haven't gone public. But a, coach, a couple of coaches said, listen, like, I, I kind of get what Josh is doing, but I have no idea why he's so publicly saying this. Like, well, what are you doing right that's now? That's the thing. It might be a reasonable point of – first off, I think it's an unreasonable point of view. But if, if it's rooted in, we're going to, hey, I just got this job. We've got we you know we were in the same league as Mike Shishetsky, Roy Williams, Tony Bennett, Rick Pitino, Jim Beheim. We got to go seven days a week. Like if it's rooted in that, I get it. But the the point he tried to make is just it just comes off the wrong way. And beyond that, 
Um, listen, there's always an unemployed assistant coach out there who wants a job. So, like, you know, he'll get a staff. But, like, sure. but people don't want to work with somebody who tells them uh, how, they, how they can spend whatever free time they might have. You know, the best bosses I've ever had, and if you're a head coach, as it relates to your assistants, you're their boss. The best bosses I've ever had, they don't try to, you know what they say? Do your job well. I don't need to know anything else. I don't need to know what time mm-hmm. you wake up. I don't need to know what time you go to bed. I don't need to know, you know, if you're in a collared shirt in the middle of the day or in, or in boxer shorts in the middle of the day. Do your job well. And, and, and as long as you're doing your job well, we got nothing to talk about. Like, the, those are the bosses that I think are most effective. Uh, hire people who you know are motivated to, to, to want to succeed um, as much as you want to succeed. And then, get it, then just get out of their way. Don't worry about if they're trying to sneak in 18 holes on a Sunday afternoon. So it just, even if it's rooted in like a good place, which I think it probably is, it's just silly. It's a silly thing to say. I agree. Um, can we pivot and then talk? Let's talk t- uh, Tubby real quick here because when that was, when that was seemed imminent, <clears throat> GP, um, you had tweeted it. And sometimes you tweet stuff and I love to check your app mentions because you've, you've got a fun little group of followers there. And everyone was killing it. Which didn't totally surprise me, but I thought there'd at least be some uh, rational thinking with it because, again, who could they have gotten in that spot? And when you really look at what Tubby's done, I don't think he's a Hall of Fame coach. Uh, I think if he actually had a great run at Memphis, he might be someone under consideration because I believe if he takes Memphis to the tournament, which I do think he will, I think if he does that, he'll have taken more programs to the NCAA tournament than any coach ever. That's one of the things where it's like, that's a good thing, and yet maybe kind of not a good thing, because that means you've probably also been fired in addition to moving on to other places. Um, I think it's a pretty good hire. Now, I, do I think Tubby Smith will be at Memphis a decade from now? No. Um, but I think he will do better for Memphis. Like, by the end of his tenure, my prediction is by the end of Tubby Smith's tenure at Memphis, whenever that is, I expect that he will have done – a job fans consider to be better than what Josh did. Acknowledging, by the way, that Josh actually did a, a good job. It's just in the tournament against big programs, they didn't show up well enough, and there were obviously um, some issues with transfers. But I think Tubby will end up doing a pretty good job. Do you agree? And have people somewhat slowly started to come around to that? Because it definitely didn't seem like early on everyone was really embracing the fact that Tubby to Memphis was actually a, a pretty uh, solid hire overall. Yeah, here's what I would say, and then Sam, you jump in here. Um, I think Memphis fans reacted the same way every fan base reacts, unless you happen to be uh, the fan base at, say, Texas, you know, Texas or, uh, you know, Kansas or Kentucky or North Carolina, Duke, Indiana. Like, there's a handful of places that can go out and actually hire somebody who is uh, successful, stable, well compensated, safe not running for something. But everybody else is hiring assistant coaches, mid-major coaches, low-major coaches, unemployed coaches, or coaches who are running from something. Like, how did TCA, TCU go out and get Jamie Dixon? Well, he's running from something. Uh, a fan base that had uh, either right mm. or wrong uh, become un, uh, uh, unappreciative of what he was able to do. Like, why, yeah, was like, Pitt- why, why were Vanderbilt people relatively happy with Bryce Drew? It's because Kevin Stallings was running with something. Right, yeah. So something. you can you can find somebody yeah. who's running from something. But, but, by, but, but beyond that, you're not going to go get Greg Marshall. Like, I do think there's a, the, there were special circumstances that made it where if Memphis would have pushed all in, I mean all in, and done everything Buzz Williams wanted, they could have got him to look. Like, just look. But, like, seriously, consider you give him the all the bells and whistles he has in his Virginia Tech contract. You give him all the money in the world. I, I think Buzz would have looked at that. But like, the truth is you, you set your sights on 
a type of candidate, whether you're at Georgia Tech, UNLV, um, uh, Pitt, uh, Memphis, and then you settle into who you're actually going to hire. That is the way these coaching searches always go. So I guess it was a week ago uh, on the Monday, uh, like, you know, a couple days after Josh Pastern taking the Georgia Tech job, and I go on to do my radio show, and I come on the radio, and all day long, like, you know, the local shows, um, they've been talking about Greg Marshall, Buzz Williams, Greg Marshall, Buzz Williams. Like every, and so Memphis fans are like, ooh, who would you rather have, Greg Marshall or Buzz Williams? And so I come on at 4 o'clock, and I said, hey, listen, here's the way this is probably going to go down. Um, you can make a call to Greg Marshall, but, like, um, the way Memphis's search committee is, is configured, they ain't going to be able to get Greg Marshall. Like, there's too many people involved. Like, if you're going to go make a run at somebody like that, because this is true. Um, Greg Marshall has, uh, since he, uh, like, was in his final years at Winthrop, he seriously considered two jobs. This is true. Wichita State's one of them, and the other one's Alabama last year. Didn't seriously consider NC State or Illinois or Cal or even UCLA. The ones he seriously considered were Wichita State and, uh, and Alabama. Obviously, he took Wichita State. He at least listened to Alabama and, like, really thought about it. And here's why. In both of those cases, the job opened. The athletic director came to see him the following day. If not, you know, it's, or at the first moment they could. Right, with Alabama, they had to wait for his season to be over. But, like, they came and saw him first opportunity and said, what, like, you're, we want you to be our basketball coach. You just tell us what we have to do to make it happen, and we're willing to make it happen. Whatever that means. You need private planes. You need this kind of money. Whatever you need, we'll do it. And he was like, oh, okay. So he took Wichita State, and, like, Alabama was really willing to give him whatever. You need $3 million, You need $3.5 million, Whatever you need, we'll do it. And ultimately, he just stayed at Wichita State for a variety of reasons. But – the way to get Greg Marshall to pay attention to you is, like, send one person there, put it all on the table, and tell him you're not leaving until he tells you to go away. Well, Memphis has, like, a seven, eight-person search committee. They can't even – and, and, like, at least three of the people on the committee don't like each other. They can't agree on anything. So they were never going to be able to, like, the way it's configured, go get Greg Marshall. Same thing with Buzz Williams. Like, if you want to go get Buzz Williams, you got to go do exactly that. Fly to Blacksburg. Say, hey, print us out your Virginia Tech contract. Okay, we're going to mark through Virginia Tech everywhere, put Memphis everywhere. You get everything in your Virginia Tech contract plus a raise. Let's, and it, we think that's good enough, but if it's not, please tell us what else we have to do. We want to get this done. Well, Memphis, ain't, they, it's not configured like that. So I come on the radio and I explain all this, and I say, so here's what's going to happen. You're going to keep hearing Buzz's name for probably another 24 hours. Keep hearing Tubby, uh, 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 Greg Marshall's name for you know maybe another five hours. And then you're going to settle into a next tier. Of, of candidate and you'll hire somebody off of that tier and it's probably a list of about 10 guys and any of them will do the job and they, they were like f you perish always trying to tell us <laughs> memphis ain't good enough to get anybody and blah, blah. and then and of course you know like two days later or a day and a half later it's memphis is targeting uh tubby smith so the initial reaction was disappointment because uh, they wanted buzz williams and greg marshall I, I, like i get it but once you start you know once you you explain to the, the fan base okay Either, like, you couldn't get Greg Marshall, which I fundamentally believe, or the search committee just wasn't organized enough to even make a serious run at Buzz Williams, which I also believe. Well, then, okay, you were really going to hire Eric Musselman or Andy Kennedy or Kelvin Sampson or uh, Tubby Smith. And out of that group, um, who did you want? You know, uh, uh, Steve Forbes. Out of that group. And out of that group, like, Tubby makes as much sense as anybody. I'm not going to tell you he's the guy I would have hired, but he is uh, somebody who... Uh, you know, just the, the coach, here, here's what I'll say. I'll bottom line it like this and turn it over to Sam. 
if you go back to like my entire life, all right, I'm 39 years old. Basically my entire life, no matter who's been the Memphis coach they've won. You know, D Dana Kirk won big. Larry Finch won enough. Tick Price didn't, but he would have. He just got caught up in a scandal that caused him to get fired after two years. Um, John Calipari won huge. Josh Pastner won enough. Like, we'd say what we want about Josh Pastner. He, he went to four uh, uh, tournaments in seven years and won 70% of his games. Um, so everybody who's ever had the Memphis jobs won. Now, everywhere Tubby Smith's ever been, he's won. Okay, so he did more at Tulsa than you're supposed to do at Tulsa. He did more at Georgia than you're supposed to do at Georgia. I know that Kentucky fans would argue that he did more at Kentucky than you're supposed to do at Kentucky, but he did win a national championship, went to multiple Elite Eights. And I think just uh, by definition, if you're able to coach at Kentucky by, for 10 years, you've done a good job because they'll fire you like after four after, or Billy Gillespie's case after two. So if you can be the Kentucky coach mm -hmm. for 10 years, you've done a good job. He did more at Minnesota than you're supposed to do, did more at Texas Tech than you're supposed to do. So basically what we have here is a guy who's always won, Always, and, 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 and you could reasonably argue has always met expectations at whatever job he had and exceeded them at most of those jobs. And we have a school where whoever's the coach wins just because it's wired to win. So, like, will this work out? I suspect it probably will. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly how I feel. It'll probably work out. I, I mean, I don't know that he'll, like, outreach what Pastner did necessarily like Josh went to you know four NCAA tournaments in six years over his last six years and uh that's a pretty good standard even at you know Memphis that's a it's a changing paradigm in college basketball I mean maybe he'll make a deeper run than what Pastner did and maybe we'll look back on this and say like hey you know like uh you know Tubby did a did a little bit better of a job. But, you know, if you made me guess right now, does Tubby Smith go to more NCAA tournaments than Josh Pastner did at Memphis? I would probably lean no, because I think Tubby's probably only going to be there, what, like six years? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah. And, like, you know, here's the truth. At a, at a job like Memphis, you really don't want to coach more than about six years. Unless it's John Calipari, of course. You keep him forever. Right. But, like. Right. No, I agree with you. That was like somebody said about, well, you know, Tubby's 64, which is true. He's 64. He turned 65 this summer. But. We're seeing guys successfully. You can you can you can successfully coach in college basketball for whatever reason into your seventies. Like it's happening. There's multiple sure. examples. So we also know that like if you're Jamie Dixon, you stay somewhere thirteen years, people get tired of you. You're you're Andy Kennedy, you stay somewhere ten years, people get tired of you. Like unless you're a Hall of Famer, if you try to stay somewhere more than about six, seven, eight years, Josh Pastner, people get tired of you. So like okay, mm -hmm. Tubby will be gone by the you know after six or seven years. That's probably if you hired somebody who was forty. You, unless he's a Hall of Famer, you'd probably want him gone after six or seven years anyway. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And, I mean, let's take a look at what's realistically on this Memphis roster. I mean, outside of Diedrich and K.J. Lawson, yeah. it's looking a little bare. Yeah. It's, it's not it's not great. Nope. I mean, you lose well, Shaq, I mean, you lose Burrell, yeah. you lose Tarrant, you lose Avery Woodson. Uh, it's, it's not great. I mean, you do have, like, the centerpiece to build around in Diedrich Lawson, who was a good freshman this year that was really inefficient but was – uh, overall had a highly successful freshman season, but like, man, you, you need to really build around him and get some stuff around him or else it's going to be a little bit rough. I think, I think the assistants are going to be key here. Um, I agree just, with that. 100%. You're just going to, you, you've got to get guys. Uh, you got to get, I was thinking you need two young guys on the staff that can really just recruit their butts off. I mean, that is going to be vital to keeping the program 
top three in that conference. Um, and the so, problem with that is Tubby hasn't changed his staff in what, like a decade? Yeah, he has had the same kind of group there, including his son is on the staff. Um, is it, GP, what's the latest with Penny? Because Penny was a name that fans would have loved. Penny's coached the local AAU team. Obviously, he has tremendous pride for that city where he grew up. He played at the school, of course. Uh, but is landing him as an assistant something that's r- a realistic expectation for the next I, season? I, I don't believe so. Like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you there's no way Penny Hardaway is going to be an assistant coach at Memphis. But um, nobody I know. Um, I haven't talked to Penny, but I've talked to people who've talked to Penny. Nobody I know um, thinks that that's realistic. And I think the telltale sign, like the like this picked up steam after I tweeted – you know, Tubby Smith is considered the leading candidate at Memphis, and somebody else, you know, tweeted. And there's conversations about Penny being, you know, on his staff. I don't doubt that there were conversations among some people, but let me tell you who wasn't involved in those conversations: Tubby Smith or Penny. Um, like as of last week, when Tubby was introduced, this was last Thursday, Friday, whenever it was. Tubby had not spoken to Penny at all. Like they hadn't even talked. And so beyond that, I don't. Again, uh, Josh tried to hire Penny a hundred times. Like Penny didn't. Penny's got fifty million dollars. You know, still makes multiple million dollars a year from a Nike shoe contract. Like, why does he want to go grind it out and be an assistant coach? Like, um, Penny wanted to be the head coach. Anybody who tells you otherwise is lying. He wanted to be the head coach of the University of Memphis. But does he want to be an assistant coach for four or five years for the opportunity to maybe be the head coach of the University of Memphis? I. I've heard nothing to make me think that that's true. So I'll be shocked if Penny Hardaway is on Tubby Smith's staff. I think it'll be Keelan Lawson, uh, if only because they can't sure. they can't do anything with him. Like, you know, the way the new NCAA rules are written, you, you can't have a person connected to prospects in an administrative role two years before a prospect enrolls or two years after that prospect enrolls. Like, that's the window. It's basically a four-year window, on a two-year window on both sides of when the prospects enroll. Well, KJ and Diedrich enrolled last summer, so he can't be reassigned. You either have to fire Keelan and just and be done with him and hope the kids don't leave, which, good luck with that, because there is no scenario under which the school could fire me and my kids would stay there. So, <laughs> you, you, like, like, no, like, Keelan might be a better man than I am. I suspect he is. But you fire me, my kids are coming with me. I don't care they got to sit out a year. I don't care they got to go to the D-League. They ain't playing for that university. So you either got to Yeah, fire like Deidre could easily go to the NBA this year. Right. So like, would be a problem. Yeah. So I, I think the staff will be Keelan in, a, in an assistance role because you cannot reassign him. Um, it's in violation of NCAA rules. And, uh, and then, like, you know, the guys that he had at Texas Tech, whether it's, you know, Pooh Williamson will be one of them, I'm told. And then uh, I know Joe Esposito was in Memphis yesterday. Um, the other guy is Vince Taylor. Um, you know, they, like you could put Joe in an administrative role for a year if you needed to, and then you could, you know, remove Keelan after next season. Like, there's a, a whole lot of like ways to do this, but it's basically got to be Keelan. I my understanding is it'll be Keelan and some combination of the guys he had with him at Texas Tech, which may or may not be good enough. I don't know. Like, we'll see. But um, I, I'd be shocked if Penny Hardaway is on that staff. Let's switch gears uh, before we get out of here and settle in on the Chris Beard situation because of all this. It was probably the most fascinating, right? He uh, he leaves UNLV to go to Texas Tech. I guess the reason this was a, a, a truly a national story is because it's like, I don't want to say unheard of, but it's it's rare for a guy to take a job and two weeks later, like have the introductory press conference, go to work, put on the shirts, and then um, and then leave a job two and a half months later. Sam, I'll ask you first. Do you have any problem with what Chris Beard did? Did he owe the did he owe UNLV anything? Do you have any issue with Chris Beard taking the UNLV job? And then 
24 hours after Tubby Smith has taken the Memphis job, replacing Tubby Smith at Texas Tech. I mean, to me, why is this different than any other coach leaving? I agree. I get that it's after seven days, but like, I mean, he got a raise to go to Texas Tech. It's a better fit. He's closer to his kids. It's a, it's a non-issue to me that he left seven days after just because, I mean, this is a better fit for him. I think that he would have been successful at UNLV because I kind of just believe in what Chris Beard is selling as a coach, but it's a way better fit at Texas Tech, even if it's a little bit more of a difficult job. And it's a job that, you know, he's probably getting paid close to double, right? What he was going to make at UNLV, something uh, like that, Gary? I don't think it's quite double. Um, but it's it's several hundred thousand dollars more. Right. And, and I mean, I think he was at like, like, and here's the other thing too. Like he went UNLV, from two, and, uh, I'll put numbers on it. He went from 200,000 at Little Rock to 900,000 right. at UNLV. That's what I was going to throw at UNLV. To, to, I believe, somewhere around 1.5 million at Texas Tech. Okay. So yeah, it's pretty close to double then. Um, what I was going to say about Chris Beard and UNLV is this. Like, it's not like UNLV is losing, like, money here in any way. Like, they're going to gain $900,000 to go out and hire a coach uh, to replace Chris Beard with, which is Marvin Menzies, which I don't buy him all that much as a Mountain West UNLV coach. But uh, it does just stink for UNLV. I mean, the UNLV situation on so many levels is interesting because uh, they fired their coach in January and they're somehow the last people at the table. Uh, and, you know, you did say earlier that part of it is luck and, you know, it is like they got really unlucky with everything. But at the same time, like, is this like a little bit of karma, like for firing their coach who's like the nicest dude ever uh, in January and then like, you know, being the last person at the table and having to kind of scramble here for a guy like Marvin Menzies, who, you know, has been to the NCAA tournament, what, like five times in the last seven years or something. But he's uh, he's doing it in the weakest league imaginable. And he's not a guy that's really gotten much in the way of players, I believe, over the last like two or three years either. He's kind of still just living off of the Boulars and the uh, just kind of the other guys. He did get Pascal Siakam, but uh, I don't know. I'm not real. I think I'm not real soul. I basically. think he'll be fine. You know, I, I, I'll say what I said about Georgia Tech and Josh Pastner earlier. Like by the time UNLV got to where they were, like this might have been about as good as they can do. You know? Well, was it though? I mean, I'm not. I sure don't know that, that because... it was. I'm not sure of that. Like you know, you, I mean, you you there were. Did you go out and get Larry Eustachy? Like that seems. Well, here's the other thing. Seems... Like you, All right. You, well, once here's where I think UNLV runs into a problem. First off, they have no money, which is just amazing. Like I, yeah, I know they're like broke, which I don't get. By the way, I don't understand that. It seems like there'd be like one bazillionaire in Vegas who like cares about basketball who would just Here, say. Here's the other thing: Are they actually like that broke that they can't pay for a basketball coach if they were willing to pay Mick Cronin like two million? But Under Armour was paying like a million of that. That the Under Armour was going to be willing to pay a million of it for Mick Cronin. Like the, sure, but can't you can't you go out and like find another guy like that? It's I, not like UNLV is an unattractive job. No, it, that's the thing. It really is right now. There are no players. They have no roster. I was. Told, they literally do have no roster. I was told Chris <laughs> no Beard. Sent, Chris Beard sent a picture of uh, to one of his buddies and said, "Hey, uh, just wanted to show you my whole team. 
and it was a picture of one dude. <laughs> <laughs> one dude sitting they on a No, I'm pretty sure they have one guy on scholarship right now. <laughs> he, he, like, he was like, I'm hanging I'm hanging out with the team and it's Hang like out. him and the one dude and the one dude no, had like really, a Panera bread. Really one dude. One dude. <laughs> All right, I got one guy. It's unbelievable. It's, like the idea really that UNLV is. could end up with one Okay, so they have APR issues. They've got um the yeah, they director, are. I've never met her. All right. She might be the nicest woman in the world. I, I she just doesn't have a great reputation with basketball people. Um, so they've got an AD on shaky ground, no money, no roster, and APR issues. What are you gonna do? Like like You're right. you know, it's bad. Like even I could have sat down, not that I didn't, but like I, I could have sat down with Chris Beard and said, Hey, listen, it's way easier to win at UNLV than it is to win at Texas Tech in theory. You know, it's, it's like maybe one of the best jobs in that league, if not the best job in that league, you know, and then the other, the Tech Tech's the worst job in the Big 12. But, like, that UNLV job is in such bad shape right now. You don't know who your boss is going to be. They don't have any money. They don't have any players. They do have APR issues. It's just, I, I like, I mean, we could they could have kept Ryan Miller, obviously. They You know, there were some reports that they could have hired, um, oh, God, who, who was the big name out there? Carl. Oh yeah, George Carl. Like the, you know, I don't, I don't know how real that was. That was not my report. I don't know, but but like, yeah, I don't. Know. Yeah, but like, even if you could, would you do? It? I don't know. Like, I just, I don't really know what they could have done. You know, like it's yeah, just, it's a, I, it's a bad situation. And and by, I guess this was my larger point. By the time they got to Marvin, it was such a publicly bad situation. Like even Chris. Yeah, Beard, it was. It when, really is. Yeah, when Chris Beard took the job, he didn't know how bad it was. But then after he took the job and people start trying to rationalize why he might really take Texas Tech, then we start explaining, like, here's the deal. Here's what's really going on there. Oh, and the Board of Regents is, like, fighting over his contract. Like, it's just like. That was weird. It's all weird. Like, like why, why would you do that? Like, that and the Milwaukee thing where Milwaukee apparently wanted to hire T.J. Otzelberger and then the, yeah. like, president came over the top and i mean this is all reported i don't know if this is true or not but like came over the top and was like no we're gonna hire laval jordan uh that was that was strange and like told tj and like oh yeah bring your family up for a press conference we're we're definitely gonna hire you and then it ends up like not happening and you know good for tj because i think he got a job at south dakota state and everything and you know like that actually might be a little bit better of a job um so great, but like that in the whole UNLV thing where like it wasn't unanimous among the board of regents to, you know, actually do Chris Beard's contract. and Like seven to it, four or something like that. It's just weird. Yeah, like, like it's weird. Just, it's, it, it wasn't like non-unanimous. It was like a fight, it sounded like. And you and Very. so like, you know, if you're any sort of attractive candidate. Yeah. Um, you just don't. It just, is weird. Like if you've got any sort of coaching future at that point, you go, okay. Hey, uh, UNLV wants to talk to you. You're a rising star in the business. UNLV wants to, or forget like you're you're a successful, stable, accomplished guy. Like Marvin, just like Marvin, just ready to get out of New Mexico State. Period. End of story. But like, if you're anybody not named Marvin, who's got any sort of stability and success, you ain't. They they say, okay, UNLV wants to talk to you. Yes, it's UNLV that um, they have no money, they have no players, they have APR issues. Athletic director probably be fired in less than a year. And um, even if they offer you a contract, the Board of Regents will probably fight over it, drag it out, and they might not approve it. No, no, yeah. thank, no, thank you. <laughs> you know what? I'll just stay where I'm at. And so it's just a, it's it's weird. Like I um, to, to to think that a program that is still that much of a brand 
is in such a just un- unusual place is is uh I don't know it's just it's I, I don't envy them by the time they you know they had to spend I guess it was last Friday trying to find a new basketball coach I didn't envy the position they were in because you know some of it is is they you know self created um, but it's just a it's, it's a, a bad bad situation all the way around yeah but more than anything yeah, they right. just got unlucky. I'll wrap it up with this. Uh, yeah, they did get unlucky. Um, it did get public, you know, the with the AD and what she said in the press release and how disappointed she was. Like, I get, I get her frustration. Um, UNLV should be in a much better spot than what it is. And uh, for that program to get itself out from its position uh, over the next, you know, X number of years will be interesting because it should be able to. Um, but we'll see. Maybe it'll become one of those weird situations where the job just winds up being not nearly as good as it should be. Um, Menzies, post-Menzies, uh, that'll be just something to track. As for Beard, I, I think he will definitely have uh, a lot of success, but let's also remember the league he's in, the coaching quality yeah. in the league. You know, even a place like TCU, which has had so much struggle, now brings in Dixon. Um, you got Underwood at Oklahoma State, who was killing it at Stephen F. Austin. So what Tubby did this past season and what he had done, you know, throughout his, his short career there was, was very impressive and, and certainly the, gained the respect of the coaches in the league. Uh, you know, Beard had did a great job, but he was at Little Rock for one year. Uh, and he knows Texas Tech. He knows, he knows the area and all that. But let's also put realistic expectations on what Texas Tech is in that league. And if Beard makes the tournament two of the next five years, that's actually a successful run there. So it's not like mm-hmm. he's going to suddenly arrive, be setting the world on fire and finishing top four in the Big 12 in three of the next four seasons. That's just not not going to happen. Um, I do think he was the right guy and think he will have some success there. But success at Texas Tech is all relative. I Can we also just point out one more thing on UNLV? Sure. Um, UNLV, like last offseason, could have just like, you know, fired Dave Rice and you know, put that entire thing out of its misery and oh, and uh, hired you ready? been in the situation and hired Ben Howland. That's exactly the point I was going to make. You could have just hired Ben Howland. He would have walked to that job. He would have been ecstatic to have that job. hundred percent. Like, yeah, it's, it's, um, and it's a, yeah, like that's a hundred percent true. They could have, that is a lesson guys. in just making sure that you don't last too long. Like if you're going to make a call and you know that the guy that you have now is not the guy that you should keep, Make the call. Make the move. You could have got Ben Hallen, and instead you created a scenario where you ultimately got left by Little Rock's first-year coach. Yep. Oh, boy. Yep. Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball uh, Podcast on uh, iTunes, so uh, go do that. It's It's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest episodes, and we will talk again real soon. Shout out to Devin Downey. Boom. Very difficult to drop, to randomly drop Devin Downey in the middle of a coaching carousel uh, podcast. So I just felt like I had to get it in at the very end. Shout Always out, get it done. Shout out to the great Devin Downey. Shout out to uh, Marvin Menzies. <laughs> and we'll be back at some point. Take care.